The Athletic. Hey, hey, stop f***ing Korean Jesus. He ain't got time for your problems. He busy with Korean s***. Qatar, the Deadwood. It's day 13 of the World Cup. Ghana waited 12 years for an apology for a penalty, which is a good description of what Ayu did from the spot. In their game against Uruguay, they and Luis Suarez's side both go out, though, as South Korea go through, and they were joined Friday evening by Switzerland. We round up another day of drama in Qatar, and with the group stages sorted, we look ahead to Saturday as the knockout stages get underway with Netherlands, USA, and Argentina, Australia. It's totally at the World Cup. Sponsored by LifeScore Bet. Well, there we go. It's day 13 in Qatar. Just seen the uh, group stages wrap up for the last time in their current format. Got Sasha Gurionov here, got Tom Williams here. We've got some friends joining us on the line very, very soon. Global perspectives on this World Cup. Tom. Speaking of Glover, you just come back from Seville. What the hell? Yes, went to Seville for a few days with some Welsh friends. We nice. thought if we're going to have to watch England knock Wales out of the first World Cup we've played in since 1958, probably better off to be out of the country for it. And as it happened, we watched it in an Irish bar surrounded by English people. So more fool us. There you go. Sasha, how have you been? I've been, uh, been exhausted the last few days of this football. Yeah. Too much emotion. Too much. I feel, I feel a little bit on the floor right now. Okay, let's try and pick you up in the course of today's giddy jaunt uh, through the four matches that took place in Groups G and Group H. The results, well, they were like this. H, this afternoon, Uruguay beat Ghana 2-0. We all got a bit distracted by the 2010 vibes, but it was actually South Korea, of course, who went through from that group alongside Portugal thanks to their 2-1 win over the Portuguese. Friday night, meantime, Cameroon took on Brazil. Brazil were already qualified, but Cameroon beat them 1-0. They became, Tom? The first African country to beat Brazil at a World Cup finals, ever. That ever, game, ever. that's extraordinary. That game also featured, and this is pretty remarkable too, the first shot on target that Brazil have faced in any game so far this World Cup. What? Mm. A lovely save too by Edison. There you go. Anyway... The other game in that group finished 3-2 to Switzerland over Serbia, which was absolutely key because it meant that the Swiss went through alongside the Selatau to the last 16. There you go. Like I say, that's the last day of group stage action and potentially the last stage in its current format. I'm not sure if we really know or if FIFA even know exactly what shape it's going to take in the next World Cup with, what is it, 48 teams involved? 48 teams, 16 groups of three. That's the thing. That there's a lot of pushback on that now that they might go with four. Maybe when people have seen what, what we've seen over the last few days, yeah. they have to reconsider it. Well, uh, almost seen. every single game contains twists, lay dramas, people counting goals towards the end, cards. It's been a roller coaster. But that, Sasha, would oblige football's decision makers to act in the best interests of the sport that we love as opposed to the best interests of filling their big pockets with greasy cash. You mean Damn. decision makers don't like fun? Well, I wouldn't like to comment, but it does make you think. Hey, at least if those are the last four team group matches we yep. ever see in the World Cup, we've, we've signed off with some good ones. Oh, what a way Absolutely. to go out. What a way to go out. Let's hear about it. First up, Group G. This is the Totally Football Show, part of the Athletic Podcast Network. 
Friday night, Group G signed off with Cameroon beating Brazil 1-0 and perhaps more importantly, Serbia losing 3-2 to Switzerland at the Stadium 974. Watching that game in the ground was Charlotte Harper, who joins us now. Charlotte, how was that game for you? It was not what I was expecting. I thought Switzerland would be defensively secure and tentative going forward. And within the first 30 seconds, they had two shots or chances and goals. So a balmy game, tensions were rising towards the end. But yeah, five goals. I don't know if I can remember all of them. All of them. It was quite a whirlwind. But Well, let me help you out. Shakiri. It was who put the Swiss ahead early doors. And then Serbia, who'd gone with not one but two centre-forwards, really breaking with World Cup tradition, and certainly for this edition, pulled level through Mitrovic, and then a brilliant goal from Dusan Vlavic, who had a particularly unique goal celebration. I don't know if you were able to see it from the, from the press area. We didn't see it from above, but we saw it kind of trending on social media. As, kind of yeah. A potent weapon in the box, I think you would probably say, of his goal. Of course. Mbolo, it was who then pulled the Swiss back level again. And then another pretty exceptional goal from Freuler at the end. Yeah, Mbolo was brilliant today. Player of the match. I'm sat alongside Raphael Honigstein and Matt Slater, which is not to get too meta. Quite fun watching their reactions. And Matt Slater was a big fan of Mbolo. Brilliant goal to draw the Swiss level. And then Freuler putting them up 3-2 within three minutes of the second half delightful dinked chip from Shakiri into Vargas who then flicked it onto Freuler so some really really good goals tonight excellent how big a fan were you all of Switzerland by the end as I said it just was what I was expecting I thought they would then sit deep as well and control the game and then pick Serbia off in the second half and they didn't it got quite feisty out there it, it seems to have calmed down now everyone's being quite civil but yeah Portugal Switzerland's That'll be a tough one for Switzerland. All right. You're going to go off and do some mingling in the bowels of the 974 stadium. So uh, thank you so much for giving us that little slice of life there. And we'll catch up with you soon. No problem, James. I think I'll ask uh, Blahovic about his um, goal celebration. See what he says. He'll like that. Thanks so much, James. Thank you, Charlotte. Thank you. Charlotte Harper. Well, there you go. Yeah, next up for the Swiss, it's Portugal, which is going to be an interesting game. Or or, or not, Sasha? (laughs) (laughs) Well, to be fair, um, I didn't expect Switzerland to be as adventurous and as vigorous as they were today, and they proved me wrong. Okay. How about the goals, eh? How about those goals? Yeah, some absolute crackers. I mean, as Sasha says, knowing that Switzerland only needed a draw and that the onus was on Serbia to attack, you might have expected Switzerland to to sit back and then take it easy. But, um, you know, they allowed Serbia to come onto them and, and then really sprang forward with a lot of purpose, scored a nicely worked opener through Jordan Shakiri, who becomes only the third player to have scored each of the last three World Cups alongside Lionel Messi, Cristiano Ronaldo. But then Serbia, who lined up with Alexander Mitrovic and, and Dusan Vlaovic for the first time at this tournament, hit back with goals from each of those. A lovely glancing near post header from, from Mitrovic and then... Bit of a poacher's goal, really, from from Vlaovic to, to put Serbia in control. 
Switzerland equalised, sweeping move. Briel Mbolo taps in at the back post. He's been having a great World Cup so far on the back of his very impressive form for Monaco in, in Ligue 1. But how about the, the Freuler goal? Oh, That's the one. That's um, Sasha, uh, paint a picture with those words of yours. So the ball comes over to Strachinia Pavlovic, who terrorised nobody today. Mbolo leaves him on his bottom, mm. plays it back to Shakiri, who's chips in a delightful ball into the box and guess what happens Ruben Vargas is coming towards the ball and managed to back flick it to Freuler who just steams the it the other way the other way yeah. it was absolutely beautifully executed I think the Serbs didn't know what hit them and guess what happened after that nothing we saw the Switzerland we learned to love and respect right they just <laughs> shut the game down yeah. I mean I mentioned as we were watching that you know Catinaccio or Veru uh, was uh, invented in Switzerland and I think Karl Rapan would have been very proud of that Switzerland performance for the last 40 minutes All right. because they didn't give uh, the, the Serbian side a, sw- uh, a sniff and um, in the end we saw uh, that uh, the Serbs were gradually losing their rag I think the, the only things that really happened last 40 minutes was seven yellow cards right. uh, mostly for the Serbia players 11 yellow cards in total, which sounds like a lot, Tom. I don't know how you feel about that. Yes, I think it's the most since 2010 World Cup or Is something. It? Yeah. Uh, but, it, I mean, it was that kind of game we knew going into it, particularly with the stakes and, and some of the, the history between mm. these two countries, that there was uh, there was scope for uh, for some aggro. Surprising to see Granit Xhaka involved, nonetheless. Um, oh. Usually such a, a mild-mannered soul. But, yeah, it, I think it was uh, probably a testament to the, the amount of frustration that Serbia w- were feeling towards the end of the game because, right. as, as Sasha says, Switzerland were keeping them at arm's length quite successfully. And, and once again, this, this very talented Serbia team, you know, four at the first hurdle in a, in a major tournament. You know, they led in their second game against Cameroon. They led tonight against Switzerland. But on both occasions, the, the result just slips away. And, and I think that, that was probably what was behind some of that frustration that, that sparked off later in the game. Uh, one thing to say, you know, how did Swiss manage to win this? Uh, Murat Yakin plucked from the Swiss second division. His coaching career seemingly going nowhere. I think today he outcoached Dragan Stojkovic, uh, the legendary Dragan Stojkovic, because I thought the way that Switzerland explored the spaces left out wide by very attacking uh, wingers and three centre-backs superbly targeted, um, obviously, Pavlovic and uh, just played the really smart game. And as soon as they got ahead, that was it. Well, that's enough of your Yakin. Let's hear now from Tom about the other. <laughs> game in this group which didn't have as much impact as the Cameroon team would have hoped they win 1-0 but they don't go through they would have needed Serbia to pull level with Switzerland and then Cameroon would have needed another goal but the thing was when they did score through a Bubakar, he then got a second yellow and got sent off for taking his shirt off in celebration a lot of people got upset about the fact that they were facing the final minutes with 10 men at a time when potentially they might have needed a, another goal Tom were you bothered about that? Not really, no, no, in the sense that the the suspense around Cameroon potentially going through didn't last all that long. Mm. I also enjoyed the very gentle way that the referee, uh, Ishmael Elfath, sent off uh, Vincent Abubakar in the sense that there was a big sort of grin on his face. It was a kind of, sorry, mate, but rules are rules, uh, mm. and off he went. Um, but uh, yeah, Abubakar signing off with the winning goal against Brazil to add to that sensational scooped lob that he scored against uh, against Serbia, Serbia in, mm. in Cameroon's second game. So although Cameroon leave us, they have given us a, a few a few moments to, to to cling to. And I'm sure that, you know, even though they, they did go out today, that, that victory over Brazil will uh, will linger long in the memory for their right. fans. And here's something that will make you happy as well. Brazil losing today means that England finished the group stages with the best record of any of the 32 nations involved. Naturally delighted to learn that, James. Fantastic. Delighted.
Excellent. But I mean, mm-hmm. just to sort of make a, a wider point about the group winners, I think it's the first time since USA 94 that no single team has won all of their group games. And I think if, if you look across the group phase as a whole, there have been teams who've produced standout performances and there have been teams who've, you know, genuinely, generally look quite impressive. Your France's, your England's, your Brazil's, your Argentina's. But there's no one who's really turned it on in every in every game so far. Um, so I feel like, yeah, I'm not sure who on paper is the favourite after the group phase. I'm not sure that the balance of power has shifted all that much mm. with regard to our pre-tournament expectations. Obviously, we've lost a couple of big countries along the way, Germany and uh, Belgium, uh, most notably. Denmark, who a lot of Denmark people Denmark as well. A lot yeah. of people tipped as dark horses. Um, but yeah, it feels like a lot of the big guns have sort of kept their powder dry. Okay. It was, I, I would I would say that perhaps you know Brazil could have finished with a perfect record, but today they rotated almost the entire team. However, if you look at the team they actually put out today, it's quite frightening. Was it? Uh, yeah, and I, th- I think um, read you the know, eleven. We got the eleven there. I got the eleven there. So Edison and Go, right. uh, Alex Teas, uh, Bremer, Militao, Danny Alves, perhaps is the, is the right. one question. He's thirty nine, you know. Yeah. Fred, uh, Fabinho. Uh, then you have Martinelli, who again had a superb game drifting out wide. Arsenal fans would recognise that. Rodrigo, Anthony and Gabriel Jesus up front. Yeah, so I, mean, I think that's, that's a fairly, fairly handy side. I mean, fairly decent Take Danny side. Alves and, and Alex Tellez out maybe and you've got, you've got a decent team. All right. Uh, the Brazil fans before the game, meanwhile, involving a, a series of kind of big banners saying get Wilson to Pele, who, of course, has been in hospital since Tuesday with a respiratory infection. Our best wishes to him. How's Neymar getting on, by the way? Is he, is he going to come back for the next round? Any news? Um, he well, he was there in the stadium tonight, yeah. watching on. I think he, you know, he sounds hopeful of playing. Um, but yeah, Korea. no, no confirmation. Yeah. Nope. We don't have yet. any idea, Sasha. None whatsoever. They've got a while before they play. When do they play? They play on Monday. No, they don't have much 5th time. December. Yeah. Is that? <laughs> it's pretty soon. Yep, that is. But I can confirm that is Monday. Okay. Next up, we're going to talk about. Friday afternoon's events. Raw, raw drama. This is the Totally Football Show, sponsored by Live Score Bet, the home of squads. Squads is a weekly free-to-play game. You reveal five players across the week which make up your squad, and you can earn cash each time they score in the selected games. The cash amount is decided by Live Score Bet's prize wheel and can range from 10p up to £50 per goal, which you can spin once the final player is revealed. Find out more and play squads for yourself for free at livescorebet.com or by downloading the LiveScoreBet app on Android and iPhone. It's over 18s only and full terms and conditions apply. Please bet responsibly and be gambleaware.org. This episode is supported by Season 3 of FX's Welcome to Wrexham. Celebrity owners Rob McElhenney and Ryan Reynolds' small-town Welsh football club has finally been promoted into League Two after 15 seasons in the National League. Dedicated staff and supporters celebrate the city's return to glory while bracing for the newfound challenges that come with being in a higher division. Will Wrexham AFC stand up to the challenges and rise again into League One? FX is welcome to Wrexham. Catch all new episodes Thursdays on FX. Stream on Hulu. This episode is brought to you by Michelob Ultra, the official beer sponsor of the NBA. Want to get closer to the game than ever before? Michelob Ultra Courtside is giving fans the chance to win exclusive NBA prizes and experiences like official gear, courtside seats to an NBA game, and more. Head over to MichelobUltra.com courtside to learn more. 
Group H, everybody. There was a place in the last 16 on the line alongside the already qualified Portugal as Ghana faced Uruguay Friday afternoon. Of course, there was also the back-to-the-future thrills of Ghana trying to win a game that they started playing 12 years ago. Anyway, while those two were tussling, South Korea came along and took second spot from under their noses right at the death and will celebrate South Korea's success shortly. But first, let's try and unpack that Ghana-Uruguay match. The tears, the twists, the Cavani punching the VAR machine. First of all, uh, Tom, you were half across this and you were half across events in in South Korea against Portugal. So let's go back to the start, though, because it was only 19 minutes in that Ghana, with all that narrative baggage of Suarez and the penalty, etc., from 2010, had the perfect chance for their revenge. Will Andre Ayou make Ghana proud here? Andres, left foot, Andre <laughs> the big talking point of the early part of the game, of course, uh, the penalty came in, coming from a um, goalkeeping mistake. Uh, Sergio Rochette should have never spilled that ball and they should have never dived in. He wasn't getting anywhere near that. We saw the pace, the explosion of pace from uh, Mohamed Kudus who evidently fooled, fooled the goalkeeper. And at that stage, yeah, I think everyone's thinking to 2010. Right. And then, but you look at what was happening on the pitch. Right. There was Luis Suarez was constantly in referees' ears. The Uruguay players did what we expected them to do, everything to put everybody off what they were so, doing. So the, well, Andre Ayew, for a for start, was Ghana's last representative from that 2010 team on the field. So you, you can be sure he was feeling this. Ghana's players have formed a kind of wall around the penalty spot to stop Uruguay scuffing it, but to no avail, because here comes uh, Darwin Nunez to do it anyway. Yeah. Uh, it, it, it was it was the whole incident around that went pretty much to script, I, be- I believe, ap- apart from the penalty miss, perhaps. Right. How bad a penalty was it? It was a very nervous penalty. Uh, he didn't catch that well at all. It was a nice height for the goalkeeper. I think the nerves got to him. Perhaps, um, you know... Carl was watching it in some place, crying at that stage. But maybe at the back of his mind, he was thinking, the Ayu brothers in this Ghana team, should they really be there? Mm. Perhaps maybe that, that proved it. And it was quite a big moment you felt psychologically because at that stage, I think the Uruguay players had a bit more banter in their pockets on the pitch. They needed to win. And they were, at this point, the only team in the World Cup yet to score a single goal in the tournament. But it was a very different Uruguay that took to the field for this game because it had your favourite player in the whole wide world, Diarraskaita. And and he was superb, wasn't he? He was he, he he showed some glimpses of what he could do in his cameo against Portugal. And this game, I believe, you know, he ran it. And the um the Ghana defenders couldn't really keep up with him at all. They couldn't keep up with him and they couldn't keep up with Suarez. Now the first goal comes from uh, a double defensive mistake, if you like. But then none of those defenders realize what Tarasqueta is doing. He should be actually on the other side. He kind of drifts in through the channel and heads it over the line. For the second goal, it's an absolutely excellent volley. But again, he p- finds himself in loads of space. And this is the smart movement we've seen before. And this is how number 10 should play. And he basically made the whole team run. A team, he comes, he came in for Diego Godin, uh, the centre-back. So basically an extra midfielder, much more positive approach. And we should have seen this Uruguay two games ago. Just while we're on the Arascaeta, who I thought was exceptional, uh, 
would be remiss of us not to point out that he should almost certainly have been sent off for a pretty nasty stamp on uh, Ali Dusadi, who I thought had a brilliant game at right back uh, for Ghana. So it was perhaps a little bit fortunate to finish the game on the pitch. Um, and whose who's withdrawal 10 minutes from time perhaps contributed to, to Uruguay coming up short in their, uh, in their fruitless goal chase. Indeed so. Ghana, by the way, conceding those two goals in the space of just six minutes, which has been a bit of a theme for them. They conceded two in two minutes against Portugal, two in three minutes against South Korea, and then these ones here. Something for them to think about while they await their next tournament appearance. Second half then, Uruguay 2-0 up, and feeling apparently so comfortable that manager Diego Alonso decides to take off Diarrascaeta and pretty much it, and Suarez and everybody who might be a goal threat. I, I was somewhat struck by the sort of uh, Uruguay approach in the second half because surely they know the halftime score from the other stadium. Uh, South Korea only need one goal. Mm. Um, I would have expected Uruguay to be a little bit more positive. Of course, Ghana made changes as well. Right. Um, but uh, yeah, they kind of sleepwalked uh, into, into going out. Right. So the other game, Tom, South Korea against Portugal. Portugal had taken the lead early. South Korea came back, and then they kind of were gently pootling along without really threatening. Is that fair? But, as Sasha says, were they to score another goal and take the lead, it would suddenly be them into second place on goal difference. Yeah, I mean, the game felt like it had petered out. As you say, I mean, Portugal, who had already qualified, Fernando Santos made six changes. One of the players he brought in, Ricardo Horta, scores their opener uh, in the fifth minute. Um, South Korea equalised through Kim Jong-won. Um, ball flicks off Cristiano Ronaldo um, so a few days having after having tried to claim a touch that he didn't actually have here's perhaps another touch that he did actually have that you might want to uh, to disavow um, and South Korea equalise uh, and the game was kind of petering out and you know Portugal seemed to be taking the sting out of things and then all of a sudden South Korea break from a corner I think so it this was. is the 91st first minute mm. Um, and as things stand at this point, when Son Heung-min takes up possession of the ball, Uruguay going through and South Korea are heading home. And Son Heung-min, who'd had quite a quiet game, a couple of half chances, drives all the way to the edge of the Portuguese penalty area, brilliantly waits for Huang Hee Chan to make the run into the box. And then, again, brilliantly threads a nutmeg pass through between the legs of the nearest defender into Huang Hee Chan's stride. And he slots it home. And South Korea are winning and they're going through. Uruguay going out and Luis Suarez is crying on the bench. Right. Now, at this point, their game is a significant amount ahead of the Uruguay match. So their game finishes with South Korea having won. But now they're all clustered around a mobile phone or transistor radio, whatever it is, waiting to hear what the score is. Because if Uruguay, who have about 10 minutes left, can get another goal, it then, all change. then it'll all change again. And they have their chances. They have, above all, a couple of big penalty shouts, Sasha. Cavani, uh, legs tangled, I think it was, it was with Seydou. Um, as Tom said, yeah, when we were discussing this earlier, it's, it, if it gets given, it stands. Mm. Uh, and if it doesn't get given, it also stands. So uh, I, th- I can see why Cavani was so frustrated not getting that deep in injury time. But overall, I still think that the Uruguayans have to look at themselves and what they've done. Right. Also, could I uh, add a little bit to your son? A discussion because I thought I, I actually timed it. I think he ran for 13 seconds, most of that time with the ball. And I think it's one of those moments for him. His life must have passed all in front of him because... You can imagine he's looking at the pitch that's virtually empty and he has that ball. He must have no energy left at all. 
and this is probably the run of his life and i think this is how i would view it from now on because this was the moment for him to put his nation through against all the odds and the way he went 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 and he stopped at the right time because defenders ran past him and to slip that ball so beautifully i think that possibly is the highlight of son's career that's beautiful sasha might just be the highlight of yours that i was running with sun young min <laughs> super min perhaps we should call him but i mean and after the game yeah. I mean, he, he cried on yeah, the pitch. He, he, he cried he, he took off his 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 face yeah. mask and, and yeah. you you reminded of of what a serious injury mm. he he suffered in that game against marseille and 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 how touch and go his chances of even playing in the World Cup were for a while and, and he's had a bit of an iffy starts the season with Tottenham you know hadn't scored until that hat-trick he got against Leicester which feels like it happened about three years ago now and you know hasn't really been uh, in top form his participation in the tournament was in doubt hasn't necessarily shone in the group phase but cometh the hour cometh the man well, he's there sobbing in the final whistle Huang Hee Chan's also sobbing across in the other game you've got Luis Suarez who by now has got his shirt over his head and Sobbing uncontrollably. <laughs> and Cavani, well, the Uruguay players that are on the field still are surrounding the referee because the whistle's blown. They never got their goal. And Cavani knocks the VAR machine over. He knocks it over. Crikey. As for Ghana, I mean, they go out. But if you'd said to them at the start of the tournament, how would you feel about going out but also being <laughs> present when it all, all goes wrong? for Uruguay and Luis Suarez ends up sobbing on a bench would they take that? Perhaps they were the real winners I remember Carl was saying this before the tournament perhaps they expected to beat Uruguay but dragging Uruguay out by mm. losing to them as well is probably even better Here's uh, Duncan Alexander on Twitter he says this is like the end of Rogue One Ghana know they can't survive but know they've made a difference <laughs> Yeah Very nice Alright anyway they go home South Korea go through Anyway so there you go Uruguay and Ghana go home Lovely descriptions of those two games, but to get what it means for the South Koreans, straight after the final whistle, we dialed up uh, the South Korean branch of the Totally Family, aka Sung Mo Lee. Thank you so much for joining us. It's 2 a.m. there. Yes, 2.45, so I have to be... Uh, speaking pretty quietly as my young daughter is sleeping next to me. Okay. <laughs> sorry, sorry for that. Oh no, no problem at all. Wow, <laughs> a, a night that you'd really want to make a lot of noise because it was an extraordinary finish. For most of that second half against Portugal, it really didn't look like South Korea were going to trouble Diogo Costa, let alone score. But then, in the ninety-first minute, the biggest moment of your World Cup so far. Yeah, I mean. First of all, I want to scream right now, but I couldn't, so that I'm, I'm very sad about that. And also about the second half, you said, I know as a South Korean that we, there will be something, because in every World Cup, we created some kind of shocker against a strong team in the last minute. Last World Cup, we scored in the last minute against Germany, two goals. And there are a lot of cases like that. So I trusted and I believe many South Korean fans would be the same. They knew something is coming up. So when you saw from the Portugal corner, Son Hyung Min starting off downfield, he's got three Portuguese players around him. He slips the ball through to Huang Hee Chan, who hasn't scored a goal all year, pretty much. Yes. And uh, you know that the dribble from Son... At the at that time, reminded me of and reminded all South Korean fans of the last goal 
in the World Cup against Germany in 2018. It was very similar. And also, you mentioned Huang. The World Cup is different, totally different competition uh, rather than the Premier League. And I know that uh, Huang didn't score quite a long time for Wolves. But I mean, we could see that right after he joined the pitch, he was very lively. And that was what we missed for the first game and the second game. So, I mean, I think, especially for Korean people, they have very, very huge feeling about their own country. It gives special motivation to the players such as Hwang and Son, who were both struggle because of their injury. So I think that all uh, works for the last goal, I think. Songmo, the last couple of nights we've seen incredible scenes with unexpected sides going through to the last 16. Did you think that South Korea would be able to join them? I honestly think we could win today against Portugal, but I would imagine we would uh, very sadly eliminate it because we needed another result from Uruguay and Ghana. But my idea was wrong, my prediction was wrong, and Paulo Bento, the manager, and South Korean team proved many doctors that they could do this. And this is kind of a new story or new history for South Korean team. So, yeah, I think it's a very good result for all Korean football Certainly. and fans. Absolutely. Songmo, if you win the next one, you could be playing Japan in the quarterfinals. Yes. Yep. And I mean, I mean, actually, actually, my wife is Japanese. So <laughs> I'm Korean. My wife is Japanese. So, I mean, yeah, we, we only have one team to, to go there. The problem is, is that is Brazil, I think. <laughs> but, you know, we, we saw that everything can happen in this World Cup. Sung Mo Lee. And I have to say, honestly, I'm very pleased for him because I thought the way he introduced South Korea before the tournament was absolutely lovely. And as I said, it made me want to watch them. Okay. And I did not regret that decision at all. Probably also quite happy about South Korea going through are the forwards of Brazil and their ankles. Because if they'd been playing Uruguay on Monday, <laughs> it might have been a very different kind of encounter. Anyway, crikey. That's... The group stage is sorted. The last 16 begins on Saturday, and we're going to talk about the first two games up next. Looking for an assist with your credit card but can't get a hold of anyone? Luckily, with 24-7 US-based live customer service from Discover, everyone has the option to talk to a real person anytime, day or night. Yep, you heard that right. You can talk to a real human and customer service at any time. Sounds like a real game changer if you ask us. Make the right call and get the service you deserve with Discover. Limitations apply. See terms at discover.com slash credit card. As you've probably heard by now, we've teamed up with BetMGM this season. We'll be using BetMGM lines to make all of our picks, and we'll have special offers for our listeners each week. If you haven't signed up for BetMGM yet, use bonus code THEATHLETIC, and you'll get a one-year subscription to The Athletic, plus up to a $1,500 first bet offer on your first wager with BetMGM. Here's how it works. Download the BetMGM app and sign up using bonus code THEATHLETIC. Make your first deposit of at least $10. Place your first bet on any game and claim your voucher for a one-year subscription to The Athletic. 
See BetMGM.com for terms. U.S. promotional offers not available in D.C., Mississippi, New York, Nevada, Ontario, or Puerto Rico. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER. Available in the U.S. Call 877-8-HOPE-NY or text HOPE-NY 467-369 in New York. Call 1-800-NEXT-STEP in Arizona. 1-800-327-5050 in Massachusetts. 1-800-BETS-OFF in Iowa. 1-800-270-7117 for confidential help in Michigan. 1-800-981-0023 in Puerto Rico. First bet offer for new customers only in partnership with Kansas Crossing Casino and Hotel. Don't forget, if you haven't signed up for BetMGM yet, use bonus code THEATHLETIC and you'll get a one-year subscription to The Athletic plus up to a $1,500 first bet offer on your first wager. You're listening to the Totally Football Show with James Richardson, sponsored by LifeScoreBet. You can get the latest football betting odds at LifeScoreBet.com. It's over 18 only. Please bet responsibly and be gambleaware.org. All right, Sasha and Tom, we've got the last 16 sorted. Japan will be taking on Croatia. Brazil are up against South Korea. France have Poland, England, Senegal, Morocco, Spain, Portugal, Switzerland, and the two games that kick things off on Saturday, Argentina against Australia and Netherlands, USA. Let's look ahead to that game, first of all. It's potentially the last game of Louis van Gaal's time in this spell as Dutch manager, or even perhaps of his extraordinary career let's get the views now of jeff Ruter there in qatar and also michael jongsma in amsterdam louis fachal very much got a bit of extra credit for all the work that he has done this has basically been a culmination of of his career uh, a last around a moment where everyone just wants him to succeed even though he has been quite divisive throughout his career, a uh, very outspoken manager. But with him um, being responsible for the last real success of the Netherlands in 2014, with him having to deal with cancer, obviously, uh, and with him connecting really well with the current set of internationals, there's a, a very big feeling of the, the country wanting Van Gaal to succeed. And that has really played a big part in a really positive vibe uh, surrounding the team and has probably carried those vibes a bit further than the play of the team actually warrants. Gakpo, Gakpo, Gakpo! And here, a goal from Cody Gakpo! The Netherlands have not looked the bit at all. Um, Cody Gakpo has been a positive surprise, uh, but it's still quite uncertain whether Cody Gakpo has actually been a standout player because the Dutch are decent and he has been fantastic, or whether Cody Gakpo has been a good performer at this tournament and the rest of the team has been dire. I think people look at this Netherlands team and say it, it's a good team. They deserve to get out of a weak group in Group A, but I think that the United States matches up well. They didn't have the sort of seasoning in Group A that the U.S. had in Group B, which gives a lot of confidence for the fan base. I think that if you look critically, uh, the, the big question is going to be, one, how is Christian Pulisic's pelvic contusion feeling on the day? And right now all signs are that uh, it is no longer contused and he is able to stand, run, glide, whatever he does on the field without pain, which is only a good sign. Josh Sargent seems like he's a little less likely to go after picking up um, the strain of his own uh, in that finale against Iran. Austin McKinney, Des making a big run. It's been for him. Des is snuck in behind. Des in the middle. Pulisic! Scores! Might have paid the price, but the U.S. takes the lead! 
this United States team will definitely press quite a bit higher than the other teams so far have done with this Dutch team. Uh, Daley Blind defensively uh, is, is a liability, so he will be pressed by former teammate Sergio Dest, uh, who obviously could have been a Dutch international as well. So there's one threat that has not been eliminated a few years before this uh, before this game. And the one big question is, what what version of Memphis Depay will we see? Will we see the one that earned the transfer to Barcelona, the one that uh, that made Ronald Koeman's uh, Dutch national team a few years so exciting, or will we get the one that has been struggling for the last couple of years uh, as a player at Barcelona, uh, basically an outcast in the Savi's uh, squad? Musa, Sergeant Pulisic on the run. Pulisic has Wea. Pulisic rolls it in. Tim Wea. If we do manage to win this game against the Netherlands, I think that it would have a monumental impact on the perception of men's soccer in the United States. I think that for so long, in the early parts of the 2000s, it was this is a good collective, it's a good tournament team, but these aren't this isn't a team filled of players who deserve to be playing at the highest level for their club game, right? It was just, it happened to be a very good team in 2009 when they made that run to the Confederations Cup final by beating the great Spain team. Um, I, I think that on the other hand, you would look now and you would say you have players at Juventus, you have players at Borussia Dortmund, at Chelsea, at AC Milan, at Barcelona. Um, you know, this is suddenly a program that is truly on the rise, especially in contrast with Mexico failing to get out of the group for the first time since the 70s. So. Uh, it would mean a, a great deal, I think, for the respect towards the men's national team, which, since missing the World Cup, really has become something of a kind of a punchline uh, for casual American sports fans, where it's okay, well, the women are the only team who win. Getting a win like this would do wonders to help get that sort of reputation built, and it would give them a heck of a launching pad as they're going into that 2026 World Cup on home soil. In the end, I expect the Netherlands will get past this hurdle, but this could well be a last dance, a last victory for for Montal as well. Netherlands USA there, that's going to be at three o'clock. Now, meantime, the later game on Saturday, and whoever wins between Netherlands and USA will be meeting the winner of this encounter, features Argentina taking on Australia. Who's the winner of that going to be, eh? Argentina found their mojo. You think so? Yeah. I'm looking forward to this one because, unlike Uruguay, yes. Argentina found the game just in time. They finally decided to play know, the English. I don't know. Duncan's supercomputer, we all live in awe of that piece of machinery, gives the Socceroos a 5% chance. A 5% chance of going through. But so you're saying there's a chance. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> they have something pretty special going on. For all your Argentine mojo, they have a team spirit the likes of which I'm not sure we've seen elsewhere in this tournament. They'll also have an extra day's rest, as long as they're not using it up on social media, eh? Let's hope. Yeah, I mean, I think I think what will help Australia is the knowledge that they are capable of, of getting results. Um, I mean, you know, that, that first game against France, they start the game really boldly, they take the lead, and then basically get played off the park. Um, and, you know, a lot of the pre-tournament predictions were that Australia would really struggle in that group because in terms of their FIFA ranking, in terms of recent experience, they shouldn't really have been able to lay a glove on any of the other teams in that group. And that first match suggested that that is exactly what would happen. But then they beat Tunisia and they beat Denmark, and each time they don't need much possession. Uh, they, I don't know if they've had more than 
42% of possession in, in, in any of their games so far. They're happy to play on the counter-attack and you know, it was impressive against Tunisia, who were a very solid team defensively. It was impressive against Denmark, who, of course, were, were one of the pre-tournament dark horses. And, you know, that will be the, the approach that I'm sure they, they hope will serve them well against Argentina. The problem they have, as Sasha says, is that Argentina really look what they're doing. Um, mm. And I think the extent of their dominance of uh, in that final game against Poland had, had passed me by a little bit until I went back and looked at some of the stats. 73% possession and 12 shots on target to Poland zero. Now, some of that owes to the fact that Poland went for a super defensive strategy and, and Robert Lewandowski was almost comically isolated. But Poland aren't a bad team. They are the classic, you know, in, in, in time-honoured international football cliche, no-mugs outfit. And, mm. and Argentina could not have looked more comfortable. Yes, we focus in on that opening defeat against Saudi Arabia, which was one of the moments of the tournament so far. But it was a bit of a freak result in terms of Argentina's dominance of the game, certainly in the first half. They looked much more like themselves against Mexico. And then against Poland, you, you really felt that this is a proper Argentina team, very solid. Messi has, you know, is picking up the ball in interesting positions, um, and they could have won that four or five nil, and it wouldn't have been a scandal. So, yes, Australia have their, their work out. Messi, huh? He's never scored a knockout goal at the World Cup, you know. Well, now they have uh, Julian Alvarez; he can do it right. for him. None of Australia's starting eleven in their last game against Denmark play their club football in the top five European leagues. Argentina. All of their 11 players from their last game play in top five European League or UEFA Champions League clubs. I mean, yeah. But that's the beauty of football and never has that been more evident than in this tournament. Yeah. I could also make a mention, you know, this, this Argentina team is supremely talented and, you know, Australian team are hardworking. But my probably favourite player in the Argentina team is uh, Marcos Eluevo. Acuna, who plays at left back. Okay. Um, I've seen him for the first time many years ago in Argentina. He struck me as being good, old-fashioned, hard-working left-wing stroke left back. And he puts in a shift every time. I think one of the reasons they've become a bit steadier on that side is because he's in the team. Do they call him El Huevo? El Huevo. The, the egg. Yeah, they call him the egg. See, I don't know the origin, the origin of that, but he does look a little bit like an egg. Or, on the other hand, he could be playing one of those players who plays with huevos, with balls. Uh, well, he does have hair, which... Suggest perhaps not physical yeah. resemblance with yeah. Mike. But he's I, I like him because I think he, he's quite a late mover to to Europe and he's crafted himself quite a decent career in the Iberian Peninsula. And here he is at the at the World Cup, um making this Argentina team better. And he's a proper Argentinian player yeah. as well. He played so high up in that mm-hmm. game against mm-hmm. Poland, but you know, technically Was he a was he a gold mouth poacher? Was he that kind of thing? <laughs> was he done. scrambling around <laughs> for more, more, more scrambling around. He's not no yeah. poacher. I see. Will he right. have Australia on toast? Probably that not doesn't him. Work. No, no, no. It, it, uh, eggs on toast. No, he, will, he, be, will he be toast? Yeah. No, it's too much. It doesn't quite work. Mm. But anyway, guys, keep, keep an eye. I like him. Okay. Well, after the last play you flagged up for us, I think we certainly should. Great. Those games are coming up Saturday, and of course they'll be followed by another session in the Totally the World Cup studio. That, though, brings us to the end of this particular edition. So many, many thanks to everyone who joined us. Jeff, Mikhail, Sungmo, Charlotte, Sasha, Tom, guest producer Steve, and you, listener. We're here tomorrow. Do hope you will be too. For now, from all of us here, it's goodbye. This is the Totally Football Show, part of the Athletic Podcast Network.